0: How far is it from the east to the west? Well, I don't think there really is a measurement. One scarred hand to the other, but I do know this, that God says that it is in the sea of forgetfulness. My sins have been cast into the sea of God's forgetfulness. He don't remember me. I wondered one time why He left me with the memories of the life I used to live. And even with the sins that I still commit, from day to day, now uh, I thought that, well, it would be nice, Lord, if you would not only take away my sin, but take away the remembrance of it. And then I found out that that comes in really handy the memory of my sin, remembering who I used to be, and what God saved me out of, what God saved me to be. There's no contrast. If I don't have what I used to be with what I'm supposed to be. And uh, so I'm thankful that I still have the memory of that. But I am more thankful that God cast it into the sea of His forgetfulness. I remember it. That He has no idea what I'm talking about when I talk to Him about my sin of the past. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to the Gospel of Luke. And uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 23. What I want to talk to you about... This morning is the right side of the cross. Now, I'm not talking about the right side as opposed to the left, but I guess it could be that if you realize that there are three crosses there. And the man in the middle, of course, was our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave up heaven, put on flesh, became a man, went to the cross, shed his blood, and died for our sins that we might be justified by his finished work on the cross. And then there's uh, two other crosses, one on the right and one on the left. Uh, so I guess you know if the the thief that was hanging on the right side of the cross was the one that got saved, then we would be able to say the right side of the cross. But I'm talking about the right as opposed to the wrong. There are choices to be made. About the cross, about the life, the death, the birth, the resurrection, the ascension, all of those things that make up what we call the gospel. And it's more than just the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Of course, God gave up heaven and put on flesh and became a man and lived a 33 year sinless, perfect life. Without that sinless, perfect life, then He would not have been worthy to die for my sins. But Uh, It takes sinless perfection for me to get to heaven. And He uh, lived that sinless life for me. Because I couldn't live it and neither could you. But uh, all of us have sin in us. But we're divided when it comes to sin on us. And Christ took my sin. And He bore it. Now the Bible actually says that He became sin. I like that better. Than just the picture of, you know, him having the cross on his shoulder and dragging the cross up the hill of Calvary and that cross being a picture of my sin and him bearing the burden of my sin. But the Bible actually says that Christ himself became, actually became my sin and the wrath of God was poured out on his son as though he were pouring out his wrath actually on me. He took my place. And I'm certainly thankful for that. The great question is, is your sin on you? Or is your sin on Christ? On the hill of Calvary, there were those three crosses that we have already talked about. And we realize that uh, one on the left, one on the right, and one in the center. And the one on the left... um, I presume he was the one that was lost because uh, I am what you call, a. even though I'm a left-handed man, I write left-handed, I understand that the right side of government is the conservative side. (laughs) I understand that the right side of the cross is the side of salvation. And uh, the left side is that of damnation and separation. And I want to look at it as those three crosses are standing before us Today, in the first cross, I envision, you know, I, I realized that Christ over the top of his cross had the words, Son of God. King of the Jews, Son of God. Well, what about the other two crosses? Were there any words, were there any inscriptions over those crosses? No, not in reality, but in my mind, I envision uh, an inscription over all three. And the first cross, I see the word rejection over the top of it. You take a look at verse 32 and we'll read uh, through these verses, 32 through 43. It reads like this. And and there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand, the other on the left hand. And Jesus uh, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Now, I can only imagine with Christ hanging on the cross. And while he's hanging on the cross, he looks down at the people around him. He's not really paying that much attention to the men on the left and on the right at the time. But he's looking around at those that are looking up at him. And he cries out to the Father. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, I know that he is in earshot of both of these men, one on the right and one on the left. They both hear the words of Christ, kind of like people that are in the church today. In this church particular, everybody is under the sound of my voice. Now, my voice doesn't carry much weight with it, but when I'm reading the Word of God, when I'm reading the Bible, then it's not my word, it's not my voice, it's not my thoughts, it's God's Word. God's thoughts. And there be people who hear the word of God. All of us hear it with our ears. But there are some that will hear it with their heart. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the church. Is what it says in the book of Revelation when he's speaking to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And when it says, he that hath ears to hear, he's not talking about the ears hanging on the side of your head. He's talking about the spiritual ears of our hearts. One of these men had spiritual ears and the other one simply had fleshly or worldly ears but both of them heard the message both of them heard what it was that jesus had said father forgive them for they know not what they do and they parted his raiment and cast lots And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, "He, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And the superscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, this is the king of the Jews. <coughs> so these malefactors on either side of Christ. I don't know. Maybe they were tilted in such a way that they could look and see. The writings over his, over his head. Uh, that, that could have been the very first gospel tract. Uh, on the top of the cross that He calls Himself the King of the Jews, that He calls Himself the Son of God. And one of the malefactors which were hanged with Him railed on Him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself. But the other answering and uh, rebuked Him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of... Of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. He hath committed no sin. He's done nothing wrong. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now, I've already let the cat out of the bag. Over the first cross, I envision the word rejection. And the reason is, because sometimes we we forget that there are actually two thieves hanging there. We always think about the one that received and accepted and and wound up being forgiven and going to heaven. But it's kind of like the two brothers. Uh, one of them was the prodigal son. The other one was the good son. One took his father's inheritance and went into a wayfaring country and wasted it on riotous living. But the son that stayed behind and that was at home that did his father's bidding. Sometimes we forget About him. Sometimes we forget about the man on the cross on the left hand side of the Christ. One thief was saved, it has been said, for the reason that no sinner should despair or feel that he may not have the opportunity. The other was saved and it was uh, sent. Of course, to hell, to be damned. And that was for the reason that no one might presume upon the grace and the mercy of God. Certainly, we have the opportunity laid before us this morning. We have the cross standing in our way between heaven and hell. And we've got to walk by it in order to reach Christ and to make it to heaven or to walk past it and to ignore him, to reject him. And wind up in a place called hell. These two men had the same opportunity. They heard the same things and saw the same message. One died, went to heaven. The other died and went to hell. I'm afraid that churches are filled with people that have that same opportunity. And the exact same thing is going to happen in those churches. Some will make it to heaven. Others will make it to a place called hell. Over the first cross, of course, that word rejection. And I want to say a few things about that man that was hanging on the cross that rejected Christ. He was a man who despised the presence of God. Despise. Boy, I looked that word up. You know, to despise something. Does that only mean to hate and to loathe? Uh, well, sometimes it means to just count as worthless. That, that it's unneeded. I don't need that. When it is something that we need desperately in our lives. It is to despise something that was given to us for our good and for our benefit. And yet to look on it with disdain and say, oh no, others may need that crutch. Others may need that in their life. But I'll have not this man to rule over me. I'm 16 ounces of the pound. I'm, I'm a grown man. I can live my life the way that I want to live it. And we become antagonistic. Towards the world and towards the things around us that try to restrict us and lead us and guide us and direct us. That we don't feel like we are in need of in our own lives. I'm sure that this thief heard the words of Jesus' prayer. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I'm sure that in his mind he's thinking, what in the world is he talking about? Father, forgive him. Who is His Father? Is His Father down there looking up at Him? He has no concept of the Heavenly Father in Heaven that is looking down at His Son, hanging on the cross, and also taking notice of all of those that are mocking, laughing at, scourging, beating, despising in their hearts the gift of God. Of course, the sign over His head... Hung and said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, instead of submitting to the King, surrendering His life to His Lordship, He despised, He hated the presence of God right there in His life. He would not have Him to rule over Him. Not only did He despise the presence of God, but He despised the person. Of God, You look at verse 39 again and it said this. And one of the malefactors which were hanged with him. Uh, hang there. Railed on him saying. If thou be the Christ save thyself. So he's hearing all of the mockings of the people. And he's hating and despising the presence of God. But he despises the person. Oh they call him the son of God. They call him the king of kings. The lord of lords. Well if you are that. Have you ever found yourself questioning God, the person of God, the power of God, the presence of God, the person of God? If you are Christ, I've heard people say that about 9-11. If, 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 if Christ is real, if God is real, where was he when the people flew the planes into the building? If you're Christ and you see me hanging on this cross and I'm suffering, we all go through trials, tribulations, heartache, suffering, things in our lives you ever question where God is at? Do you ever question the goodness of God? If, if God were really good, if God were really omnipotent, um, omniscient, I'm um, knowing, He, he knows my, my heart, He knows my sorrow, He knows what I'm going through, why doesn't He reach out in Him? Why don't you take me down off of this cross that you see me crucified on? Well, I like what the answer to the man beside him on the other side of the cross Uh, Christ said he says man what is wrong with you don't you understand that this man in between us has done nothing wrong but we are here because of our own sin do we not realize that the reason that we go through heartache and trials and troubles and tribulations is not God's fault As a matter of fact, God told us to begin with, in the day that you eat thereof, you'll surely die. And Adam ate. And when Adam ate and died, you died. I died. We all died. We were all separated from God because of our sinfulness. Not in spite. Well, it is in spite of His righteousness. But it's not because of His unrighteousness. Him not doing what He could or should do. And we wind up actually despising the person of Christ we despised his present we despised his person and this man hanging on the cross despised his power verse 39 again that i read just a minute ago one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him saying if thou be the Christ save thyself and us do you not have the power to call 10,000 angels from heaven And to take you down off of that cross. So certainly. If you're the anointed one. The one sent from God above. If you're the Messiah. If you are God in the flesh. As much God as God is God. And yet as much man as man is man. Certainly you gave up heaven. Put on flesh and became a man to go to the cross. And shed your blood and die for the sins of the world. But are you not God enough to take yourself down? from that cross and in doing so can't you take me with you i don't believe jesus answered him a word didn't say a thing to him just like he didn't speak to the woman of canaan in the morning message in sunday school that had a sick daughter and she says oh lord lord i have a need would you come and touch and heal and he didn't answer her he didn't say a thing why because she called him the son of david why would she not I get an answer because of him being called the son of David. Because we're not living under Jewish rule. We're living under Christian rule. We are not under law. We're under grace. And when she finally called him Lord. she reached. Uh, he reached out and touched. And says go thy way. Thy little girl is healed. My friend we've got to realize who he is. That he's not just a Jew hanging on a cross. There were thousands of those. But that He is as much God as God is God. And He was God hanging on the, flat, on the cross in the form of human flesh. That He might be able to die for our sins. Well, you see the, the cross on the left, I call it. But you also see the cross on the right. I'm saving the cross in the middle. For last, But the cross on the right has the word over it, the inscription over it. Instead of rejection, we see the word reception. We see the man who believed in Christ. Put his faith and his confidence in not only his name, but in his person. Who he was. The Son of God. You look at verse 42 through 43 and it reads like this. And he said unto Jesus, Lord... You see, the same thing that the Canaanitish woman that called him the son of David and wouldn't get an answer when she finally called out, Lord, have mercy on me. He touched and healed his daughter. When we bend the knee and bow the head to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, it is the Lordship of Christ that changes our destiny from hell to heaven. I want you to know she's not bothering me a bit. It is the Lordship of Jesus Christ that changes our destiny from hell to heaven. And it's only when we bend the knee and bow the head and surrender our lives to the Lordship. He's Lord whether you believe it or not. He's Lord whether you call on His name or not. But it's only when we bend the knee and surrender our hearts and life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and receive Him as our Lord. Remember what it said in John, the Gospel of John chapter 1 and verse 12. It says, but as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Now the question comes to mind, did they believe because He gave them power? Or did He give them power because they believed? Well, certainly they were dead, spiritually dead. They had no power, spiritual power to have faith. They couldn't have confidence. They couldn't have trust in Christ until God gave them power. What power? Regeneration, the waking up of the soul from spiritual death to be able to see clearly my need of a Savior and His Lordship over my life. And because of regeneration, now we understand our need and we bend the knee and bow the head. God had done a work in this man's heart that illuminated, regenerated, woke him up from spiritual death to spiritual life that he might see spiritual need and surrender himself to the Lordship of Christ. At first, he insulted the Lord, but secondly, he began to look at the Savior. You look at verse 34 through 38. And it says this. And He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And as they parted His raiment and cast lots, and the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided Him, saying, He saved others. Let Him save Himself. And if He be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked Him coming to Him and offering Him vinegar and saying, If Thou be the King of the Jews, save Thyself. And of course, the superscription said above Him, King of the Jews. In Hebrew and Latin. Now, He began to look at the Savior and He realized that He was the Son of God and that His face was marred. And even through the marred, even through the beatings, even through the blood, even through the (laughs) crown of thorns, on his head, this man saw through all of the physical aspects and he saw the deity of Christ hanging on the cross. My friend, has Christ ever been revealed to you in such a way that you realize not his humanity? Certainly, we want to understand why he became a man and gave up heaven and put on flesh. But but this man, this this man hanging on the cross... Beside look through the physical and saw the spiritual. Now that is a work of God in our hearts, in our minds. The illumination, the regeneration, the waking up of the soul and the conscience. The mind, the will and the emotions. To where we not only feel the weight of our sin. And I'm sure he felt every ounce of his weight hanging on that cross. But when he looked at Christ. When one man on the left looked at him and saw nothing but a way out. Well, maybe he can get me down off of this cross. And it was all selfishness, self-centered narcissism. But the other man saw the reason that he was hanging there. The reason that Christ was there. And he cried out to him, Son of, Son of God, have mercy on me. He began... To look at the Savior, he began to listen to the Savior and the mockers that he had around him. I just read verse 34 through 38, but even again, verse 39 says the one hanging on the left side mocked him as well and railed on him, saying, if you are who you say you are, then do what you say you can do and save me. I've ran into a lot of people who want to be saved. Not so much from their sin. Oh, they're in love with their sin. They like their sin. They like the lifestyle that they're living. What they're wanting to be saved from is the consequences of their sin. They're they're not wanting to be saved from the wage of their sin. The wage of their sin is death. And we're not talking about the the physical death, but the, the spiritual death, the second death. They don't even believe. They don't contemplate. Those things. The only thing that they're thinking of, well, is if this man is who he says he is, then he can get me out of the bondage, out of the problem, out of the trial that I'm going through in my life, in my home, in my family, in my pocketbook, or whatever it is that I'm going through. Certainly, if he is God, he can fix what's going on in my physical life. My friend, Jesus did not come to change your life here. As a matter of fact, he promises us That our life in this world is going to be a life of trouble. That we're going to be going through heartaches and trials and tribulations. If He suffered, we'll suffer. If they mocked Him, they'll mock us. If they crucified Him, they'll crucify us. And a lot of people, they say, well, you know, I'm not in it for that. If He can give me what I need, if He can give me more money, if He can give me a better job, if He can fix my ailments, my, my, my diseases, the things that are going on in my body, if He can fix what I need, then... Yes, I'll come to Him. It reminds me of the last three verses in, in the Gospel of John chapter 2. It says, When many believed on His name, when they saw the miracles which He could do, but Jesus did not commit Himself unto them because He knew what was in the heart of man. And I'm just saying that God is not here to fix your problems. Not those problems. God is here to heal us from our sin. So many people take that verse out of Psalms out of context. When he was bruised for our iniquities and and uh, our chastisement was upon Him. And by His strife, we are healed. And, and there are so many worldlings, lost people, that, that take that verse out of context and say, Oh God, Jesus was sent to heal me of my diseases. I can cry out to God. I put something on Facebook the other day. I usually do the copy with Christ every week. But I put something out, I think, yesterday about people on Facebook asking for prayer. And you hear them all the time. They ask you, pray for me, please. I've got something going on in my life, my mother's got cancer, or I've got, you know, a headache or whatever it is that they're they're dealing with at the moment. Would you please pray for me? And I, of course, in turn say, Well, yes, I'll be glad to pray for you, and I do pray for them. But what I said is they asked for prayer, and yet they never darkened the doors of it. They hadn't been in a church in the past fifteen years, if they've been in church ever in their life. And yet when things go amok or array in their life, they want somebody. It reminds me of Simon the sorcerer in the Bible that came to Peter. And and, uh, Peter had been winning his disciples. And he was using witchery, witchcraft, and sorcery, drugs to bewitch the people. And Peter and the apostles come rolling through and he steals their disciples from him. And Simon the sorcerer realizes that his congregation is dwindling. So he goes to see what's going on. And he hears the gospel. He hears what Peter is preaching. And the Bible says that he believed, was baptized, and followed after the disciples. And you say, Amen, glory, Simon the sorcerer got saved. Wrong. Because when he saw Peter lay hands on him, and the guy spoke in tongues, he says, Man, I'll pay you some money if you'll give me that gift, if you'll show me how you did that. (laughs) Peter looked at him and says, Thy money perish with thee. Because you think the gift of God can be purchased with money? Repent of this, the darkness and sinfulness of your heart Peradventure that God may touch and heal you. And he says, oh no, you pray for me. I don't want to talk to God. Why is it that people that are out from under the will of God, the way of God, the purpose of God, the plan of God, the word of God. When things go wrong in their lives, they want to come to the people of God and ask them, pray for me. Fine, I'll pray for you. But here's what I'm going to pray for, that God will put enough pressure on you to cause you to scream. God, have mercy on me. I'll pray that God will change your heart and change your destiny from hell to heaven. I'll pray that God will convict you of your sin, illuminate your mind, regenerate your soul and draw you to himself that you might be saved and that you might have a relationship with God in such a way that you want to talk to God yourself. Certainly, I ask people for prayer because I know the power of prayer. And I also know the power not of only individual prayer, but the power of collective prayer when a bunch of people are praying for the same outcome. And when you know lost people come to you and ask you for prayer, and they're asking others for prayer, all of us should be praying for their salvation. Not so much for their healing of their body. I pray for that too. But my friend, the most important thing Is the salvation of their souls for them to come to know the Lord? Well, you see, the reception he looked on the Savior, he began to listen to the Savior. And when he began to listen to the Savior, you remember what the Savior actually said to him Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now, that brings us to the third cross. You have rejection, you have reception. One rejected, one received. Some bend the knee and bow the head. They sit under the same voice, the same preaching, the same message. They have the same Holy Spirit. All of the things are equal in their lives. And some say yes and some say no. Some receive Christ. Some reject Christ. You wonder why? Is it human? If it's human, then salvation is not by grace. If the reason that they reject is because they're more receive is because they're smarter, they're more tender, uh, they're more receptive than one is better than the other, right? Well, that, that doesn't even sound right. We can't agree with that. I'm just saying that God is the author of salvation. And on the middle cross, what you see over that cross is not just King of the Jews, not some God. but what you see over the middle cross is redemption, redemption the word redemption you have rejection you have reception you have redemption and the redeemed let the redeemed of the earth say so have you been redeemed do you know what redeemed means just that very word certainly means purchased we were purchased we were redeemed i tell this story all the time when I was a little boy, I grew up on a Hopaka plantation. It was a farm and uh, my dad would load me and my sisters up in the back of the truck every year about this uh, time uh, of you know it's October and we would ride down the old back roads, and we'd get out and walk the ditches, and we'd find Coke bottles laying in the ditches where people would throw their Coke bottles out, and they used to try to hit signs and stuff with them, and we'd pick up cases of, of Coke bottles, and we'd take them to Miss Claudine Watt's grocery store out in the country, and she'd give us a nickel apiece for those Coke bottles. Now on the bottom of a Coke bottle used to have in raised letter in the glass. It wasn't painted on there. It was literally raised in the glass. And it said redeemable around the bottom edge of that Coke bottle. And that word redeemable means that it had value. That if you would pick it up and return it, then it would be purchased by the person that you take it to. God looked down and saw you And somewhere on your body it said redeemable. And Jesus Christ gave up heaven and put on flesh and became a man and was born. The babe of Bethlehem went to the cross after living a 33 year sinless perfect life and shed his blood and died. And it was the shedding of the blood that was the purchasing agent to redeem us back from our sins. And I'm telling you that God does not do double jeopardy. When God redeems, when God purchases, when the Debt is paid. What did he say? Tetelestai. Paid in full. That Jesus Christ, the shedding of the blood, was rich, red, royal enough to wash away all of my sins. All of my sins of the past. All of my sins of the present. All of my sins of the future were under the blood of Christ and purchased, bought, paid for, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. The basis of redemption is the blood. Is the blood. Certainly one man died in his sin. The other man died to his sin. But this man died for our sin. Are you going to die in your sin? God have mercy on your soul. I prefer to die to my sin. That I confess... Lord, I am a sinner. You know who I am. You know what I've done. You gave up heaven, put on flesh, and went to the cross and shed Your blood for my sin. I see that. And the only reason I see that is because of the regeneration, the illumination of the Holy Spirit that opens up my heart and my eyes and causes me to see what it is that You did for me when You sent Your Son to shed His blood and to die in my stead. I understand that. Ephesians chapter. 1 in verse 7 reads like this. In whom we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Only the precious blood of Christ could purchase us. Remember what it says in Revelation chapter 5 verse 9. And it says, He hath redeemed us out of every kindred, tongue, and nation. He hath redeemed us out of. Why, why didn't it say He redeemed every kindred, tongue, and nation? It didn't. It says He redeemed us out of every kindred, tongue, and nation as though there were others left there that had not been redeemed. And I'm just saying this, that certainly if Christ gave up heaven, put on flesh, and died for us, it's only that precious blood that, of Christ that could purchase us out of the slave market of sin. And we were bought and paid for by sin. We were on the slave market. We were in chains. We were bound. We were dead. We were separated from God. God comes along, pays the price, purchases us back from the slave block of sin. And in time, illumination and regeneration takes place in our lives. We wake up. We feel the weight of our sin. And we come to Christ, the basis of redemption is through His blood. The blessing of redemption is the forgiveness of sins. We are forgiven of our sins because we have been purchased by the blood. That verse again, where it says, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin, it goes on to say, according to the riches of His grace, are you, your sins forgiven and blotted out by Jesus Christ. Well, what does all this mean? It's very simple. It's a simple message. I don't think I've preached a simpler message than this in my life. Rejection, reception, redemption. If you're under the heading of rejection, then you are despising the presence, the person, and the power of Jesus Christ simply By the air that you breathe. Some people think that. Well if my good works outweigh my bad works. No no no. Works has zero to do with. For by grace you say through faith in that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not according to works lest any man should boast. So works have no playing in it. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. Unto good works. Which God hath before ordained. That we should walk in them. So certainly. Certainly works have a part in my Christian life, but they have no part in my becoming a Christian. It's only by the grace of Jesus Christ. So over that rejection is simply despising his power, presence and person. But over the second redemption is us being made whole by faith and trust In Jesus Christ. We need to check ourselves. Sometimes we check our temperature. To find out whether we're sick or not. We put a a piece of mercury. And a piece of glass underneath our tongue. And the body temperature rises the mercury. Makes it run up the tube. And it tells us what degree. Of sickness we have. In our bodies. We can find out. Just how sick we are. And whether we are on the right side, and I know I'm looking for the right side or the left side, or should I really say the right side or the wrong side of the cross. Have you bent the knee, bowed the head, surrendered your heart and your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Have you received Him as your Savior? You want to receive Him as Savior? Yes, but I don't want Him as King. I don't want Him to rule in my life. Then you can't have Him as Savior. You can't have Him. He will not be yours if all you're looking for is a fire insurance policy. But if you'll surrender every inch, every ounce, every fiber of your being to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, He'll receive you unto Himself and save your soul. In that last verse that we read a while ago, when I read all of them in verse 43, you can know that this can be true to you. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you today, Thou shalt be with me in paradise. It's not somewhere in the sky, by and by, apple pie, when we die. But it's right now. I'm with Christ. Paul said for me to live is Christ. He's here with me now. And I'm thankful for that. I know that he also said, yeah, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I'm even more proud of that. I'm thankful for what salvation means. But it's more than just a ticket to heaven. It is a relationship here and now with Almighty God. Walking hand in hand with him. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. You remember the paradise that God put Adam and Eve in? I know, it was Eden. And there was there was stuff there. There was bad, there was wicked, there was sinful, there was a serpent, there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One thing, I gave you one thing to do. You couldn't even do that. Don't eat of that one tree. My friend, God is still calling us to live in the paradise with Him, to walk with Him, to talk with Him in the cool of the evening. To have fellowship with Him. To love Him. For Him to love us in the here and now. It's not just, again, one day in the sky, apple pie, when I die. No, it's now. You can have a relationship with Him. But also, if we do die today, where it says that verily, verily, I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. If I die on my way home today, I know where I'm going. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind what Jesus Christ has done in my heart. Well, how can you know, preacher? How can I be that sure? How can I have that kind of confidence? How can I have a no so kind of faith? Well, it's very simple. The Bible is clear. Hereby do we know Him. This is how we know Him. Hereby do we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know Him, keepeth not His commandments is a liar. And the truth's not Him. It's not saying that you might not know Him if you don't keep all of His commandments because surely I fail at that. I'm still a sinner. But I know that I know Him because I'm striving to keep His commandments. I want to more than anything else in this world to be faithful to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for Your love, for Your mercy. Thank You for this day and the blessings that You've given us. Thank You for the opportunity. God, to be here in your house, the ones who are here, God, because they chose to be, God, the ones who have a desire to be but couldn't be, I pray that you'll bless them with the same rich blessings that you bless us. God, there are those that could be who have no desire. God, how I pray that you'll move in their heart and convict, draw and save, and God will give you the glory and the honor for that. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.